Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Crime Ghoul, a true crime podcast where I'm your host, Brittany, and I am back. I am better than ever. I'm here with my healthy, happy fur baby. (laughs) I've got so many names for him, but the bad piggy himself, Kylo, my little puppy. He is doing much better. Thank you all for reaching out and, you know, checking in on us. We're doing well. We finally figured out what's going on with his stomach, and it turns out it's not really his stomach. It's his pancreas. So his pancreas does not create enough enzymes anymore. So he has to be on medication for the rest of his life so he can properly digest his food. But Nevertheless, he's on that medication. He will lead a happy and healthy life. So I'm just happy we have that figured out and I can get back to focusing on what's um, important. Obviously, he's important, but, you know, I could actually have time for other things now as well. So I'm just very happy he's healthy and just my little baby and he's okay. So we're both happy to be here and we're both happy to be hanging out with you guys. And finally, I'm going to talk to you about... Paris Lee Bennett. This is a case that I have wanted to cover for a very long time. It took me so long to gather all this information, and I'm not sure if it was partially because I was making sure Kylo was okay, or or if it's just because there's so much information packed into this episode that I had to find a concise way of doing it properly, because I really want to tell this story right and give you guys everything all in one go. I've had to go to different sources for so much information. I want to bring you all of that information compact into a great episode. So let's get right to it. Let's dive in. Um, If you guys want to stick around for the end of the episode, I'll give you more of a life update. Um, I know most of you true crimers just want to get right to the meat of things. And that's me too. I don't like to hear a whole lot of babble. But if you're one of those people that actually care, stick around and hang out and um, I'll catch you up on my life and Kylo's life. (laughs) All right. So without further ado, you know, the cue. Um, Go pour yourself a glass of wine, brew yourself a cup of coffee, or perhaps take a shot of whiskey because this story is definitely not for the faint of heart. As always, thank you so much for listening. Okay, guys, as we move forward, I just want to let you know, listener discretion is heavily advised for this episode as I will be discussing the murder of a child and sexual assault of a child. So if that is something that's going to make you very uncomfortable, very upset, just don't listen to this episode. Tune in for another episode where we're not speaking about minors or children. All right, let's get to it. So masks. Yeah, masks. They can be a scary thing, and I'm not talking about horror masks or Halloween masks. No, not like the haunted mask from Goosebumps either. I'm talking metaphorical masks. Something more along the lines of maybe fake personas, if you know what I'm saying. It's the face you put on that you want the rest of the world to see. It's basically how you want everyone to see you. And yeah, sure, we all have different faces for different situations. I'm sure you're very different with your spouse compared to, let's say, maybe your boss. But what I'm talking about goes even a little deeper. Some people have a darkness inside of them, and they know it. They use a mask so no one else catches on. So today, we're going to an awfully dark place. So follow closely. This story starts with a doting mother, a woman who came from a wealthy family. 
Her name is Charity Lee. She was surrounded by a lot of money while growing up, but she wasn't surrounded by a whole lot of love. Not by a long shot. From a young age, she dreamed of having a loving family, and she knew that once she had children, she would give them all that all the love that she possibly could, all the love that was in her body she would give to them, because that's what she always wished her parents had given to her. So Charity's life was extremely tragic early on because someone murdered her father, James. He was in the living room one day, you know, it was a normal day, sunny, beautiful out, and out of nowhere, he was shot twice in the back and once in the head. Many people believed and still believe to this day that her mother, Kyla, was responsible for his murder. So Kyla was charged, tried for, and acquitted of murder for hire of her then husband. So all in one go, Charity lost her father, and for a little while, she lost her mother too. And in fact, she never quite got her mom back. So Charity's father's death is a little sketch because he and Kyla had divorced once, okay? So they divorced one time, but then they remarried. And they remarried just 57 hours before he was murdered. So yeah, there's that sketch. So it turns out that Kyla realized she was slowly losing a place in the company that her ex-husband owned. And since they weren't married, she feared losing any type of control in the business as a whole. So could she have been afraid of losing out on a substantial amount of money and not having a grasp on the company? Well, maybe. After all, James was going on these big drug benders. He was sleeping with many women and he wasn't really paying attention to his finances like he should have been. So in Kyla's eyes, not only did he ruin their marriage once, but now he was putting her and her daughter's future and life in jeopardy. Could it be that Kyla remarried James just to inherit his wealthy shipping business? Then you fast forward to them remarrying in a shotgun Las Vegas Elvis Presley impersonator type of deal. And you just have to wonder, did she kill him for his fortune to have complete control over his assets? Sounds plausible, doesn't it? Needless to say, Kyla was found not guilty by a jury. Charity had lived with her grandmother for a month while her mom was being tried for her father's murder. And when Kyla returned to Charity, she had a lot of nannies take the role as mother. She was too busy focusing on this big shipping company. So Charity Charity did what she could to get the attention she so desperately desired from her mom. She started acting out in school, and soon when she got to middle school and high school, she was doing drugs and drinking. So around 13, Charity starts to spiral into this heavy drug use, and Kyla mentions that Charity was the perfect child up until she turned 13 years old. Well, here's why. So around 13, Charity's grandmother gave her a scrapbook full of articles about her father's death and her mother's possible involvement in the murder. So turns out Kyla admitted to talking about killing her husband James before he was actually murdered. She had talked about killing him. Um, That's bizarre, obviously. So when Charity confronted Kyla because she found out about this um, newfound information and looked at all these news articles, her mom wouldn't give her answers. She would just talk about how horrible of a person her father was. And Charity began to question her mom and she even began to question herself. She wondered if she would become horrible like her father supposedly was. This is when shit basically hit the fan and she started dabbling in every kind of drug you can think of. She was sexually promiscuous. She started doing poorly in school and Charity was extremely intelligent, but she just didn't want to apply herself. And who can blame her? Her father was murdered and then her mother was blamed for it and everybody knew about it. 
But soon enough, she realized that if she actually applied herself, she could get out of school early and she didn't have to be there anymore. So she did just that and she graduated at 17 years old. Eventually, she would meet a man and she got pregnant. And a little while into um, her pregnancy, her boyfriend left her. And soon her son, Paris, was born. She would say that Paris saved her life because when she found out she was pregnant, she immediately stopped using drugs and drinking and she felt like she had a purpose. So not too long before Paris's birth, Charity made a deal with herself because she was going through a very difficult time. She actually wanted to kill herself and she gave herself a period of time. And if things didn't get better or work out for the better, she was going to end her life end all of her pain. Then Paris came to be and things completely changed for her. She would end up raising Paris as a single mother from time to time. His dad would try to come back into the picture and come back into their lives, but he never stayed. And Paris's dad would actually be diagnosed with schizophrenia when Paris turned two years old. And after that, he kind of just disappeared. For nine years, it was just Paris and Charity. She would constantly remind him to ask her one day about how he saved her life. She wanted to wait until Paris was a little older to explain that it was because of him that she stopped her drug use and because she wanted to live again. She felt she had that purpose and she felt blessed to be pregnant with Paris. He was her sunshine. Paris was nine when his little sister Ella was born and Charity says that he was not excited when she was pregnant and she was afraid that he was not going to take well to his little sister. But when Paris first got to meet Ella, he was in awe of her. He thought she was so beautiful and they immediately became best friends. In some home videos that Charity has, you see Paris and Ella constantly playing together. And Ella was this little diva who loved to dress up and sing. She loved butterflies and she loved the color purple. Even more than that, she loved Paris. She had a bossy, sassy and sweet personality. She had a lot of personality in one tiny little body. And contrary to these happy moments, there was something disturbing about this family, something that was just lurking right beneath this facade. And that was Paris. He was not happy. He was not extroverted like his little sister, Ella, and no one in his family truly knew who he was. Paris took the life out of his family, whereas Ella brought life into the family. So Charity didn't know it at the time, but her 13-year-old son had been harboring severe anger towards her. You see, Paris was 12 years old when Charity relapsed and used cocaine as her drug of choice. And during this year, Paris went from having his mother's undivided attention to having a mother who was not present for him or Ella. Towards the end of Charity's relapse, things got really ugly and out of control no details are really ever revealed about this period of time and what exactly took place, but Paris took whatever that was straight on. Like, he had to handle it. Um, he took on the brunt of it. He had to become the parent, and he took responsibility for himself, Ella, and his mom. And this is really tough for any child to go through. No child should ever have to parent their parent. But Paris was no exception. So going forward, Paris and Ella spent time living with their grandma, Kyla, and Charity's half-sister, their aunt. So Kyla had a child with another man, and she was just a few old, um, and the child is just a few years older than Ella. So they're very similar in age. I think they're actually like a year apart. So um, it was weird. Like Charity gave birth to Ella, and then um, 
I think her sister is actually just a year older than Ella. So it's kind of weird. But um, what the heck am I trying to say? Oh, my God. I just lost my train of thought. But Paris and Ella would end up living with their aunt and their grandma for six months. And once Charity was stable enough, they moved back in with their mom. And quickly things took a turn for the worst. Charity would say there were no signs or red flags leading to the grim and horrific evening of February 5th, 2007. But after doing a lot of research, I would have to disagree with that statement. So Kyla said that from a young age, Paris was introverted and he had very few friends. He didn't like to socialize. He wasn't affectionate and there was just something off about him. So let's talk about the red flags that um, went unnoticed with Paris Lee Bennett, shall we? So Kyla used to live in a house on the side of a hill and Charity and Paris were visiting and Paris had been playing outside. It had just rained. It was um, very warm out and muggy. And when that would happen, a bunch of frogs would come around the house. So Charity noticed that her then three-year-old son Paris had a bucket of frogs that he had collected. And um, she realized that Paris was taking the frogs out of the bucket and throwing them off of the hill. And Charity asked why he was doing this. And he responded that he liked hearing their bodies hit the ground. A three-year-old, like that was his response. He liked throwing them and hearing them like smash onto the ground. To this, Charity made the excuse that he was young and that he didn't understand what he was doing. So she claims that she explained to the young Paris why that was wrong. And she noticed that there were a couple of frogs that he didn't kill. They were squirming in pain, probably broken bones or whatever. So Charity explained this to Paris and explained that the frogs were really hurt and that they were suffering and that they had to put those frogs out of their misery. They couldn't leave them there. And she killed them because it was the humane thing to do. And I do get that, but I can also see how this could be, one, very traumatic for a three-year-old, and two, um, just, yeah, I don't know, like a three-year-old, like, I guess, throwing frogs. Like, I, I remember being little and killing ants and maybe putting salt on a slug or something, but I don't, I don't know like this there's just something about this that screams it's not right but whatever charity tried to do the right thing and explain like you know we can't leave them here we have to kill them they're already gonna die whatever so then when Ella was born it seemed like Paris was always doing something wrong in charity's eyes whereas Ella could never do anything wrong and Paris resented that he would pound his head into the wall until it would bleed and he would throw glass all over the place and Kyla said Paris was probably doing this as a way to cry out for help, but that they were all stuck in their own turmoil, so much so that none of them really had time or realized just how severe um, these outbursts were that Paris had. Like he was taking like glass cups and throwing them, like smashing them, and they just were just, they just were just, I can't, they were just stuck in their own problems. Like they could barely help themselves. How are they going to help him? So what turmoil was it at that time that was going on for like grandma and mom? I'm not sure. I'm sure it had to do with charity and her drug abuse and relapse, but I'm not entirely sure. So there are a lot of missing pieces to this puzzle. In one home video, Paris, guys, I cannot speak today. In one home video, Paris made like a really weird statement. He says that the worst thing that could happen to his mom would be to kill charity's children. Like, it was weird. 
I don't really understand the premise of the whole conversation. We don't get to see the whole home video, but basically, um, I guess Charity's talking about like what could be the worst thing that could happen to her. And Paris responds, kill Charity's children. And she was like, Paris, like, don't say that. And he was kind of like laughing about it. He had a very dark sense of humor from a young age. And he also was drawing really dark pictures. And, you know, there's just a lot of darkness to him. So on one occasion in 2006, roughly a year before the horrible night to come in 2007, Paris actually tried to stab his mother and he went to a mental facility. Allegedly, he was making fun of his aunt and sister and Charity asked him to stop. He was supposed to be in timeout, and instead he grabbed a knife and he ran outside. So Kyla and Charity both had to run outside after him to try to get the knife away from him because obviously that was super dangerous. So Charity doesn't mention that her son actually tried to stab her. It's Kyla's recount of the story that tells us that, in fact, he did try to stab her. And it was at this moment that Charity accepted her thoughts about Paris and that he was very depressed and he was hurting on the inside and needed help. And it was probably because of her relapse that she seldom goes into detail about. So he went to the mental facility. So contrary to what Charity says, which is that the mental facility did nothing for Paris while he was there for a week, and that no one mentioned that he had suicidal and homicidal tendencies, Kyla says something much different. The strange part is that Kyla was not there and did not know that Paris was admitted to a mental facility until after the fact. I know it gets a little confusing, but this is what Kyla says about Paris's hospitalization, that the hospital suggested he stay there, but Charity was convinced that they couldn't help him and that he was better off at home. So a psychologist there highly suggested that he stay hospitalized because he had homicidal tendencies and obviously this could be very dangerous. He also had a very high Q, which is just more interesting to note than anything else. But nonetheless, Charity brought him home when she shouldn't have. Charity described Paris to be a goth goth skateboarder and that he had friends and that he was well-liked in school, except for maybe the jockey type of kids. So when her son took a turn for the worst, she was left in absolute awe. Charity loved and still loves her children unconditionally. And this unconditional love is something she never had growing up. She didn't know where she went wrong with Paris, and perhaps she gave too much love to him. Perhaps she put um, Paris too high on a pedestal for too long, and when she began to to relapse, her commentary about him made him feel inadequate, and her behavior infuriated him. Kyla says that Paris felt in his mother's eyes he could never do anything right, and that it really bothered him and hurt him. You know, you go from being this light in your mom's life to being like the reason she continued living to all of a sudden you're doing everything wrong. And then all of a sudden your mom, who was always very present, is no longer present and she's choosing substances over her children. Like I I can imagine that could be hard for anybody to deal with, let alone a 12 year old boy. So Charity reflects on her relapse and thinks about the consequences of her actions often And she wonders, could it have really sent her son over the edge? Could it have sent him overboard? Well, guys, you're going to be the judge of that. I know I have my opinions. But during that six-month period, Charity missed important moments of Paris's life. And you have to realize that at like 12 years old, you're going through this detachment phase. Like you're becoming a teenager, you're a child, but you're going into that teen time and you're starting to detach from your parents. But... Um, He didn't really get to do that on his own. 
she detached from him. So this could create a lot of turmoil. So when Charity returned, Paris wanted little to do with her. He really was, he was mad. He was very angry at his mother. So Charity began to struggle with finances, which was also something Paris never had to go through. So this obviously was not good. After all, being an only child for nine years, receiving all this attention and love, um, entering puberty, taking care of your drugged up mother, seeing her be a complete mess, and having to worry about your baby sister, it just definitely could weigh down on a person. It could definitely bring a child down. And it definitely had something to do with this dark manifestation that was coming, this anger and this resentment he had towards his mother. And this is where it gets dark and it gets dark quickly. Usually when someone snaps, there is some type of straw that breaks the camel's back. And perhaps this was it. So February 5th of 2007, Paris and Ella went to the mall with their babysitter and Paris spent all of his allowance for the month on that shopping trip. So Charity gave her kids an allowance to reward them for doing their chores around the house and to teach them about budgeting. So Charity always warned them of spending their money all in one go. Well, Paris did just that and he had no money left for the month. Like it was the first week of February and he had already gone through all of his money. So he told his mom that all the money was gone and he bought whatever he bought. And she said, well, I guess you have to wait until next month until you could buy something else or do something, you know, anything you need money for. And this pissed him off. So he snuck out later that evening to go to a skate skate park and Ella ended up ratting him out and telling on him to his mom. And this severely pissed Paris off because, of course, it caused him to get in trouble and yelled at. He I don't know if he was grounded, but he was reprimanded. So this brings us to the point where time and reality just stop making sense, where nothing has meaning, yet nothing means everything at the same time, if that makes any sense. It was Super Bowl Sunday and Charity Lee had a late shift working at Buffalo Wild Wings. She had the babysitter watching the kids and this was going to be a good night to make money. Everything was normal. Back at home, this is how the night went and it was anything but normal. So let's start off by the fact that the babysitter was definitely not paying attention. I don't know how old she was or he was. I don't know the sitter's name. There's really not much information about this babysitter. But what I do know is that for hours that day, Paris was watching very violent pornography, like sadistic torture porn. And I'm not talking like BDSM or anything. Um, I know some people like look down on that. I have no judgment towards that whatever. I'm not talking about BDSM or anything like that. I'm talking about like pain inflicting porn, like not okay. And he was watching snuff films. So if you don't know what a snuff film is, it's allegedly a real life video of a person being murdered. So this is the content that 13 year old Paris was watching for hours, hours, okay, hours. As the night goes on, he convinces the babysitter that's a, that it's okay for her to leave. And how does a 13-year-old convince the sitter it's okay to leave? Well, you have to be very convincing. So didn't this sitter wonder, wow, what's Charity going to think when she comes home and realizes her kids were left alone? Uh, exactly what she didn't want to happen in the first place, obviously, because that's what she pays the babysitter to do, to watch her kids. So why she didn't think about this or how about God forbid someone gets hurt while I'm gone? Maybe it's not a good idea to leave. Or how about you don't just leave kids home alone? 
Yes, Paris was 13, and maybe some people were left home alone at that age. I'm one of them. But maybe there was a reason Charity didn't leave her kids alone. And that's completely Charity's business. If she thinks that her 13-year-old son um, can't watch, you know, baby sister Ella, she doesn't feel comfortable with it. Those are her children. And, you know, if she wants to pay for a sitter, that's what she's paying for. So just maybe, I don't know. Um, maybe that's the reason she wanted to sit her in the first place. Like, come on, people. So it doesn't take a genius. In this case, the sitter is fooled by a genius. Like I said, Paris has a very high IQ and it turns out he's extremely intelligent, extremely manipulative and cunning for a 13-year-old boy. So needless to say, the babysitter leaves. And when I try to imagine just exactly what it was like the night of February 7th, 2007, I full-blown get a wave of nausea. Like, I feel a twitch in my body. So the sitter leaves after some convincing and, um, you know, it's just like, oh, you should go home. Yeah, we'll be okay. I promise. Mom will understand. Don't worry about it. We're fine. So the sitter says, okay, cool. Let me grab my stuff and head out. And she leaves, closing the front door behind her. Paris walks into the kitchen and he grabs a steak knife. His heart had to be pounding, knowing full well what he was doing, what he was about to do. But before we get there, let's have a listen to the 911 call. And this is a 911 call made by Paris. Emily 911. Hello? Emily 911. Go ahead. I actually killed somebody. You think you killed somebody? No, I know I did. My sister. Okay, where's your sister now? She's in the bed. Is she breathing? No, I'm not. I feel so messed up. Okay, calm down, okay? I want you to stay on the phone with me, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, what's your sister's name? What did you think of that? It sounds pretty convincing, but I'm going to tell you otherwise. So this is what happened. Paris takes the steak knife and he walks into his sister's bedroom. And there's little Ella, four years old, sleeping peacefully and where she slept every single night, probably having sweet dreams, warm and cozy, when suddenly the person she looked up to the most is on top of her attacking her. And it's drawn out. Paris first hits Ella, and she must have woke up terrified. Then he wraps his hands around little Ella's neck and fails at strangling her. But he tries. And who knows if he was saying anything to her or if she was screaming or trying to mutter words as she looked on at her brother, enraged, a monster with the blackest, most evil eyes. Like an animal, he was latching onto his prey. He was choking her. But she wasn't dying, and she was fighting hard. 
Then he stabs her a total of 17 times. And when he's finished, he masturbates on her. He proceeds to the telephone and calls a friend and talks to her about how he did something that he's going to get into a lot of trouble for, that his mom's going to be really mad at him. But he doesn't tell her what. And it's a pretty normal conversation before hanging up. So that phone call only lasted a few minutes. He then phones 911 and you heard it. And it turns out that emotion was completely faked. So there's more to the 911 call and I can leave it in the show notes. I'll leave the link if I could find it. Um, But needless to say, he is basically told to give Ella CPR and he says that he does it, that he's giving the CPR while he's on the phone with the 911 dispatcher. He lied. Police and crime scene investigators can tell just by how they found her that there was no CPR given to her. And was she alive when Paris phoned his friend? Could she have been saved while he was on the phone having a normal conversation? We don't know, and we probably never will know, but it's possible that she was alive. By 1230, just past midnight, the police show up to Charity's job, and they explain that Ella has been hurt and... Charity immediately wants to bolt out of that room and go get her. Then they tell her that Ella has been murdered. Just like that, Charity's body hits the floor. She faints. When she regains consciousness, she asks, where's Paris? And they tell her, your son murdered your daughter. The police want to know everything about Paris and Charity told them everything that she thought she knew about her son. But her perception was not who he truly was, and she was about to learn that fast. The room must have felt like it was spinning for her. All of these investigators are asking her questions, and just like that, Paris sent Charity to hell. Charity is taken to her home by the police, and there is crime scene tape and cop cars everywhere. The neighbors are out and about. It's a goddamn circus. And Charity was in a state of shock as she sat in a cop car in front of her own home the home where she raised two loving children, where she raised the light of her life. She stared at her house and all she could think was that Ella was in there dead and Paris killed her. She kept repeating this in her head and it became harder and harder for her to grasp and she kept a sweatshirt over her head and just hoped to disappear into the backseat. As the cops and media came, they asked what seemed like an endless pit of questions. She just, it felt unreal. She asked to see her son, and she was told that he didn't want to see her. That's right. He didn't want to see her. He's the one who killed the sister, but he didn't want to see his mother. Late the next day, she got to see him. And this was the beginning of her journey. She would have to crawl her way through hell to learn the truth. When she finally saw Paris, she hugged him. Despite what he had done, it was just a motherly instinct. It was one of her children, and one out of two was alive, and she just hugged him. And she realized that he wasn't hugging her back. It was like hugging a husk or some person she had never met before. He was no longer the Paris that she knew. There was no affection, no love, no anything that was remotely familiar about him. It was like somebody had taken him, taken over his body, and it just wasn't Paris anymore. He was sad and scared and explained that Ella was a burning demon. He didn't know that he was killing his sister. He thought it was a demon attacking Ella. He went to bed with her that night and all of a sudden the next thing he knew it was like the de- the demon um, 
had this fiery pumpkin head and, you know, he he just killed the demon. And it's a little odd because the week before he was raving about A Nightmare Before Christmas. And if you remember Jack the Pumpkin King, before he turns to Jack, um, you know, he is like the Pumpkin King, like he's that pumpkin guy and, you know, his pumpkin head goes on fire and, you know, he he wakens for the Halloween season. So a lot of people wonder, did he get that idea from Nightmare Before Christmas or did he really see a demon? And at first, Charity wants to believe him. After all, his dad has schizophrenia. Um, It wouldn't be so far fetched if Paris was developing schizophrenia. It is a genetic thing or it can be a genetic thing. And it was just all hard and just so confusing to process. She was besides herself and didn't know how she was going to continue parenting Paris. The days after were awful. Charity just wanted her baby Ella back. And Ella was laying at a mortuary, dead. The people who worked there were really kind and let Charity see her daughter whenever she wanted, as they should. Ella was laid on a padded table surrounded by flowers and stuffed animals. She looked like Ella, but she did not feel like Ella. As days went on, Ella was changing. She had contusions to her face, 17 stab wounds, and her skin was in the first stage of decomposition. Her nails seemed to be growing, but that's really due to dehydration in the body. The skin shrinks, so the nails appear to be growing longer. They're not actually growing. Charity couldn't let Ella go, and soon Ella was laid to rest. Every day from there was a hole of depression for Charity. And the details are lengthy, and they're best said in her book, How Now, Butterfly. It is a beautifully written and truly moving book. I highly suggest you guys read it. Um, It is a tearjerker. I was in tears many times, but I suggest you read it if you are interested in hearing more about what Charity went through. She had a lot to learn about Ella's death, and it wasn't until weeks later that she was able to read the full police report. She visited her son every single day despite the pain that he had caused, despite the atrocity that he committed. Charity was and is plagued by thoughts of Ella crying out for her or wondering if Ella felt abandoned by her. Charity learned that Paris stabbed Ella slowly and methodically, and it was drawn out. It took Ella 10 to 15 minutes to pass away. The sheer brutality was traumatizing for Charity. How could he do this? She hated him. She loved him. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to feel. She soon found herself in court for both children. On one side, she had to be Ella's mom, an advocate for her murdered daughter. And on the other side, she had to be Paris's mom, an advocate for her murdering son. There was one point where the judge actually allowed Charity to sit in the middle of the court because she was there for both children. The defense was for Paris and the prosecution for Ella. She had to compartmentalize the two of them. Day in and day out, she was visiting Paris and it was becoming more and more clear that he killed Ella and he did it to hurt Charity. He was becoming more and more callous. He began telling her that he liked to see his mother in pain. He would say, you always said you would kill someone if they ever hurt your kids. So what are you going to do now? He would taunt Charity and say, you're all fucking stupid. You thought you knew me. And it turns out you never knew me. He would say he watched all of that violent pornography on the computer that day because he knew that Charity would find it and would get really mad. He would tell her that he thought about killing her and not Ella, but realized that 
had he killed his mother, she would only feel um, a temporary pain. He wanted Charity to have an everlasting pain. And what other way to do that by killing one of her children? So he killed Ella. He explained that he had thought about killing other people, the babysitter, whoever, some random person walking down the street, but he decided against it. He recalled having dark thoughts in school. There was one kid who made him really mad and he thought about stabbing him in the eye with a pencil and he didn't act on it. Charity found herself wishing that Paris would just kill himself. She could not bear what he had become or what he truly was, but she remembered the unconditional love that she promised to give her children all those years ago and she did just that. I don't know how she did it. She said she loves Paris, but that does not mean that she likes him. She continued with her promise despite the evil that would spew out of his mouth day in and day out. He got into fights in prison and one time he wasn't allowed to um, get his busted face attended to by doctors like he had his face beaten and the correction officers wouldn't let him. So he had to resort to cleaning out his own wounds with toilet, pa- um, not toilet paper, toilet water. So they had no sympathy for him. It turns out that he he would get in trouble in prison a lot and he would threaten like the correction officers, children. He would threaten killing their family and all of that. So they really had no sympathy for him. Plus, he's a child killer. No one likes a child killer. So Charity um, still wanted to be an advocate for her son because apparently there was some really messed up things going on in that prison. Um, She did mention in her book something about child rape in the prison, like some of the officers would rape the inmates. I don't know how true that is, but that's what she said. So, of course, her being a good person and a mother with feelings, she wanted to try to advocate for her son. Um, which, of course, on some days, this was easier than others and harder on others because she, of course, had to had to deal with the fact that her son killed her daughter. Like, uh, it's just really hard. But she made that promise. She said when she made promises, she didn't like to break them. And she promised them as babies to always give them this unconditional love no matter what. And like she said, I think she put it so well, you know, I can love my son, but that doesn't mean I like him. I think those are key words. So Charity wanted to try to make Paris's time in prison livable. She actually wanted to bring him books, but in prison, books are seen as a luxury and that prison didn't have like a library or anything for inmates like some prisons do. So she wasn't allowed to do it. However, she was allowed to start a book drive for the inmates and she could bring in whatever books were donated and she actually got a very significant amount of donations. She brought those books to the prison and this allowed Paris to read these books um, because all of the prisoners would have access to them. So she showed acts of love despite his hate. During one of the visits, Paris admitted that he was upset because he felt pleasure murdering Ella. He would go on to tell his um, psychologist in prison that killing Ella made him feel really good and that stabbing her was like stabbing a soft pillow or a marshmallow. He just enjoyed talking about it. So he clearly knew what he did. This demon bullshit, as you could see, is bullshit. So he would tell his mom about the pleasure he felt from murdering her. And on some days he woke up really nauseated by the fact um, that he had pleasure in murdering her. Sometimes he was having like dreams that she was sitting on the end of his bed covered in blood and he woke up vomiting. And all the time, all along, it seemed like um, he kind of wanted a reaction from Charity. Like he was watching very intently 
her face and her reaction. And he would give her this dark, haunting look. And in that these moments, she recognized that he deeply hates her and would probably kill her if he ever got out of prison. So in later visits, Charity confronts Paris and says, did you kill your sister to hurt me? And he would confirm that he did. And she later asks why he killed Ella, his own sister. Like, if he had to hurt anything, why not go for their pets? And he responded, I would never hurt our pets. I love them. And this was like taking a sledgehammer to Charity's heart. She felt just total disgust for him. She despised him. It seems like each time Paris met with his mother, he would say something to hurt her. He would tell her how lucky she was to be free, but the fact was that Charity was not free. She was trapped in a never-ending cycle of grief, pain, anger, and sadness, and it became its own prison. She lived in the house where her daughter was murdered. Day in and day out, she couldn't escape it. So he either purposefully... Um, neglected the fact that she was living in her own prison or he was just so detached from other people's feelings that he sincerely didn't consider the pain that his mother was experiencing. Despite the pit of emotion she was stuck in, she was also battling the media and police investigators who were trying to piece together how Charity raised a killer. She was being heavily analyzed and questioned over and over again. Like, was he abused? Do you have any reason to believe he like why he would do this? Were there any signs? Were there any red flags? Her whole life was gutted from her and she was powerless to stop everything that was going on around her. She had no control. So Charity continued to get the truth of Paris's disgraceful actions. And during one visit, she decides to rip off the bandaid and just come out and say it. She comes out and says, Paris, I don't think you tried to have sex with Ella. I think killing her got you off. And I think you orgasmed because you killed your little sister. In this moment, Charity got a glimpse of the real Paris, his true form, the form that Ella met that night she died. His eyes appeared to deepen into pits of black, like his pupil just got huge. It was this primal look. His jaw was clenched and he was enraged. He slammed his fist down on the table and he pushed the table into her, pinning her up against the wall. And he pressed so tightly that she couldn't breathe. She was stunned and she couldn't move. He then pulled the table back and he did it again, slamming it into her body. She was shattered. There was a part of her that truly believed that he would not hurt her. But this thought died after that day. Everything happened so fast and the guards ran in and restrained him. Charity ran out of the prison and she did not stop running. She got back to her car and she screamed, she cried, and she wailed out all of her emotions. She was terrified and she felt like a fool. Maybe it was true, she thought. She didn't know who her son was, and maybe she was a fool for that. But guys, um, the truth is we never truly know a person. And this is one thing I have learned um, through all of my studies of the brain and psychology of getting to know myself. You will never truly know a person. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if you're married to them. It doesn't matter if they're your best friend, your sibling. There's just this this part of their brain, the part, their part, a part of their being that you will never truly understand because we can't go into each other's heads. Like your truest form is who you're with every day. It's with yourself and only you know who that is. So do I think Charity was a fool for not knowing her son? No, I don't. I don't think so at all. So things got worse between Charity and Paris, and I know how much worse could it possibly get. Well, even after everything Charity did for her murderous piece of shit son, he filed for emancipation. 
And why, you may ask? Well, because Grandma Kyla was sending Paris Watchmen comics. So Charity wasn't happy about that because the comic is extremely violent and depicts murder and rape. So because Paris was a minor at the time, Charity intervened and forbade um, Paris from receiving mail from his grandmother. And this led to Kyla and Paris teaming up against Charity. So as you can see, Kyla is a real peach. Okay, clearly there's something wrong with her as well. I mean, I'm sure you guys got the idea when I brought up in the beginning that it's possible she killed her husband. Well, here's the thing with Kyla. She is a full-blown sociopath. She is just like Paris, and that is why they click. They are pretty much the same person. They hurt people and they have no remorse. Obviously, we can make speculations about Kyla and whether she's a murderer or not. I could sit here all day going back and forth. But Kyla has been caught saying some very controversial controversial statements. Of course, the emancipation um, assistance is a problem. The violent graphic novel she sent knowing damn well that her grandson murdered her beloved granddaughter and masturba- masturbated on her um, and possibly sexually assaulted her. Kyla clearly didn't care at all. She only cared about making Paris happy. And I don't even think that's true, honestly. Like, I don't think he, she cared about making Paris happy. I think she just wanted to hurt Charity. But I honestly really think that's what she wanted to do. Then in an interview, Kyla explains that her whole family is full of manipulators, with the exception of her youngest daughter. And I want you to hear this for yourself. So take a listen. This is um, an interview of Kyla Bennett, um, Charity's mom. And in the beginning, she's kind of referring to her relationship with Charity. And um, like I said, Charity always wanted her mom's attention. And, you know, the thing with Kyla was that she said she wanted to have a life outside of just her daughter. She wasn't just a mom, like she was living her life and um, did whatever she wanted to do um, despite having a kid. And that's why she got all the nannies. Like she didn't want to stop living, um, which is kind of selfish. You know, when you have children, your children should be your end all be all. Like, don't get me wrong. Of course, you should have a life, but your children should always come first. And clearly, um, Charity knew that Kyla didn't prioritize her like that. And she would be left with her nanny for weeks on ends, okay, without seeing her mom. So here we go. Up until Charity was 12 years old, she was the most wonderful, loving child that anyone could wish for. We were inseparable. And then from 12 on, it's been, it's like an alcoholic. It's up and down, up and down, up and down. But she'd get mad at me because I wouldn't allow her to do something. It was, well, you murdered my daddy. So she was a good manipulator. But we all are. Paris is. Ella was. I would be lying to you if I said that I wasn't. We all manipulate each other. We're all spoiled rotten. My other daughter, Caitlin, I don't think she's quite as good. She didn't have as good a teacher because I don't do it so much anymore. I don't have a company to manipulate. I don't have drivers to manipulate. And I don't have a jury to manipulate. So. Now, I'm going to provide you guys with links to watch, like, the long interviews that are of Charity and Kyla and even Paris. And you'll see with Kyla, like, she smiles. Like, when she says, like, I don't have a jury to manipulate, she's smiling. Like, she's happy or she's proud about it. Um, she mentions in one of these interviews about how her um, 
late husband, her dead husband, um, that his family was involved with the Georgia mafia. And she's just like smiling, lighting up about this when she talks about charity and how charity was spoiled. And, um, you know, she had a life outside of charity. She's smiling about it. Like she's happy. Like she, it seems like she gets happy about things that she shouldn't be happy about. It's just so fucked up. So this is what charity has had to deal with her whole life. And this is who charity learned from. Her mother was a model for her. Like, you know, you model for your children, the behavior that they should, um, you know, have in the world, whether that's good or bad. But here, you know, don't get me wrong. Charity's got some flaws, definitely, from me doing all this research. Like, I don't think she takes full accountability for her actions all the time. I don't think we know enough about what happened when she relapsed. And I think there's just a lot of pieces of the puzzle missing, and that's totally on her. But it's also her privacy. Not saying she's completely innocent in things, but um, this woman has had to deal with some shit for years and it's just well for her whole life and it's just very upsetting so charity managed to find strength and she did manage to crawl out of hell she did this by creating the ella foundation and she advocates for both victims and criminal justice reform so it's almost like she's like keeping that legacy of unconditional love for both children like she's Um, advocating for victims of domestic violence and violence and then um, for people who are mistreated in prison. So please check out the show notes and take a look at the Ella Foundation. So in 2013, Charity gave birth to another son. His name is Phoenix and she has healed more than ever and loves being a mother to him. For a time, she allowed Phoenix and Paris to talk to one another Phoenix um, actually was brought to a couple of visits with Paris, and she feared that if she didn't do this, it would make Paris more resentful towards Phoenix, and she feared that if he ever got out of prison, he would want to hurt or kill Phoenix, just like he did for Ella, because Phoenix gets, like, a large amount of Charity's love. So as time went on, um, we come back to the year of 2021, and Charity has taken a break from Paris. So she can't compromise herself for him. And she wrote about this in a Facebook post. So he's still extremely hateful towards her and hurts her with words whenever he can. So she has since moved and um, she hasn't been active on social media ever since that post. So I hope she's living in peace with Phoenix. And for her sake, I hope she disappears and changes their names. Um, There's actually a forensic psychologist who told charity she was wasting her time going to visit paris in prison that she should stop spending all this time and money and trying to make his life better and invest that money into her in phoenix and get into like witness protection and get new identities and get the hell away from him because if he ever gets out of prison that psychologist is pretty certain like he would go after both charity and phoenix so this kind of sounds like um michael myers from halloween if you ask me like it sounds like um a sibling killer and um you know it's just like when it was canon that michael myers and laurie strode were siblings michael just wanted to freaking annihilate laurie and anyone that got in his way well we fear that this could be the case for paris if he gets out of prison So there's that. He's just like Michael Myers. It's really fucking creepy, especially with like those dark eyes he has as well. So Paris has done interviews in the past few years and he tries to convince the interviewers that he has healed and anyone could see past this facade. 
he's still really detached from emotion. I don't know really how to explain it unless you watch it. And I've watched every interview I could get my hands on of him. And I just see this inner darkness like come out during these interviews like you just see it like he has a lack of emotion in his eyes just the way he speaks there's really no variation in his tone um it's just very cold and it just gives me the chills and my gut just tells me everything about him is wrong so he's actually up for parole in let's see 2037 which is not far away people so Here's hoping that psychologists see right through him and whoever else that needs to see right through him does and does not let him out because he is absolutely a danger to society. And even, let's say, um, Charity and Phoenix, like, go into hiding and everything and he gets out. If he can't kill them, I'm sure he'll kill people who resemble Charity to him and God knows what else. So I just pray he never gets out. Trust me, I believe everyone deserves a second chance, but there's just something very inherently wrong about Paris Lee Bennett, and I believe that he can't be trusted. There is so much more I would like to know about everything. Um, You know, for Paris to become as enraged as he was, like, I just can't help but feel like there's something missing. Like, there's just something we don't know about that really tipped him over the edge. Don't get me wrong. I think genetics do play a factor into this. I think his dad is schizophrenic. His mom was drinking and doing drugs. um, And I don't know if she was doing those things like in the beginning of conception for him. That could also have an effect on something. Then his environment and everything else. Like I just feel like there's something important that's missing. And I probably will never get whatever that is as an answer. I don't think any of us will. Only Charity and her family truly know what 100% went on. But I also think that there's something to be said for his grandmother being a sociopath. And I think somehow that plays into it with his genetics. And I think she definitely killed her husband. I really do. Especially with that comment she made. I don't have a jury to manipulate. Like, I don't like that. Pretty douchey. So, yeah, like, that is the story of Paris Lee Bennett and... Sometimes I wish I could write to prisoners. I mean, I could, but I won't because in this case, Paris is somebody who's very manipulative. So even if I did write to him to try to get answers, I don't think I'd ever get those answers. I think he would just put on a show and would not be truthful. But if there's anybody listening who has written to Paris in prison, I would 100% like to hear about that. I'm very curious. But I digress. Anyway, that is the conclusion of today's episode. It was pretty dark. I am glad that the Ella Foundation exists. I want all of your attention to be paid to Ella. I named this episode Paris because Paris obviously um, had such a, a bad, interesting story. And Charity's story is pretty incredible. And yeah, however, I don't want us to not pay attention to Ella. She had a very short life. She was a beautiful little girl who did not deserve this. So please go check out the Ella Foundation and see how you can help make a change for victims of domestic violence and violence and violence against children, all of that stuff. Go take a look at the Ella Foundation. And yeah, check out the show notes to go see some interviews done with all of these people. 
Um, so yeah, How Now Butterfly is a really good book. I'll put the link down below for Amazon so you could go purchase the book and read it. Really is a great read. Definitely disturbing and upsetting, but a very good read. And then there's something called um, The Family I Had, and that is a documentary about Paris. And you could get so many more details there because, like I said, this story is compact of detail after detail. Like, there's so much I didn't go over, but there's no way I could condense that into one episode. And honestly, like, the details get very, um, you know, depressing. Well, I don't want to say depressing. They get very sad. Um, depressing is not the right word, but it gets very sad and it's just very drawn out. So I would have made multiple episodes for this, but honestly, I really didn't think that that was the best way to go about presenting this case. I gave you guys the bones and the gist of it. But if there's anything you want to hear about and you don't feel like watching the documentaries or you don't feel like reading a book or anything like that, just DM me, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we could talk about Paris if you have any questions or, you know, if you just want to talk about his case in general or if there's anything I missed that you think was important, definitely reach out to me and let's talk about it and have a conversation about it. But yeah, so that's the episode. I'm actually going to give you a life update. So this has been crazy, okay? Ever since Christmas, life has been crazy. So yeah, like you all know, Kylo's been going through a lot of his health issues. I started an internship at a psychology office, so I'm really happy that I'm actually doing therapy and working with a population that I would love to be working with. And I'm actually doing what I have been training all of these years to do. So I'm so happy about that. Currently, if I sound sick, I am. I do have the Rona. The Rona has come for me. Coronavirus. Omnicron. That was scary. Omnicron. Sounds like a freaking Decepticon from Transformers. But yeah, I have the Rona. So sorry if I sound nasally and stuff. So life is just, you know, using me as a punching bag as always. But it's all right. It's all right. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm breathing. I get to talk to you fine people. And that's all I could ask for in life. So that's a little bit of a life update. School starts for me at the end of this month. So shit's going to get real busy when it comes to releasing episodes. Honestly, like I don't want to give you guys a set day or time anymore. I think it's just these episodes are going to come out when I can put them out for the sake of my own sanity. I'm definitely going to be out and about on social media. I'm going to be around. I'm going to try not to disappear Um, because I really love talking about true crime. Like this is my hobby is reading about true crime and talking to people about it who are also interested. So this is something I really don't want to put on the back burner. So you could definitely expect to hear more episodes. I'm not stopping. Um, I will trek through as much as I can. And I'm definitely trying to get some YouTube videos up. I've been wanting to do this for months, as you guys know. I'm going to go back to my earlier episodes where I have really shitty audio where I first started out. and I'm going to revamp them and I'm going to present them on my YouTube channel. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Not sure when that's going to come out, but it's definitely going to happen. I think I'm going to start with the case of Ezra McCandless. If you guys didn't listen to my episode, you could go check it out. It's all the way at the bottom of my show very early on. Um, Again, the audio is probably shit because I've gotten such so much... um, better equipment since then. And now for Christmas, I got a Nikon camera so I can actually record myself and not feel self-conscious because I actually have good equipment. So yeah, as you could see, it takes time to really 
amp up your show and podcast and YouTube channel. So I'm here for it. I'm ready. I'm so excited. So definitely going to go revise and revamp those earlier episodes. So get ready for that. If you guys have any case suggestions, definitely give me one. Um, I love to hear you guys tell me stories that are maybe close to your home or, you know, something you're close to. I'm going to try to put out some bonus episodes or just cover it in its entirety. Um, as long as there's enough information for me to do so. And then again, I'm keeping up with CrimeGhoul.com, my blog, where I write about true crime cases that I don't necessarily cover on my podcast. So as you can see, I'm a very busy gal. I've got a lot going on. I have a lot I want to do and just not enough time in the day. So that's how you can find me. That's how you could talk to me, all that good stuff. I just want to give a shout out to How's It Haunting. Great podcast. Go check out How's It Haunting. Um, really you know, gives me great feedback and is always a very positive person in the true crime community. So definitely go give that podcast and um, Instagram some love. But if you guys are looking for ways to help me, a free way to help me is by giving this episode a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, by sharing an episode with your friends. So um, if you could share it to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, tag me tag my social media. Let's get the word out there. I love bringing these true crime cases to light for people because a lot of the times um, these cases just go pushed right under the rug. So you can help me out that way. Or there's multiple ways you can help me. If you go to my Instagram, crimeghoul underscore, go check the link in my bio. It's a link tree and it brings you to a bunch of different places where you can help me be better and better my content. So yeah, DM me. Let me know how you guys are doing. I love to hear from all of you. I hope you're doing well. I hope you guys don't have COVID. It sucks. And if you have, I hope you have recovered. If you know someone who has it, I hope they're okay. But I hope you guys have been healthy, safe, happy, all those good things. Don't be a stranger. Reach out to me. I'll send you some pictures of Kyla. We'll make your day better. And yeah. So thanks again for tuning in this week. Hopefully next week I've got another episode for you. If not next week, it's coming, baby. No worries. So I love you long time and bye.